0: Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform, or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.
1: Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you for your comments, Facebook messages, and emails this past week about the conversation I had with my son. I've had I uh, have to share one of the messages that I got here. It's an email from Sherry who says. Jeremy, I love, love, love last week's episode with your son, Phoenix. What an incredible young man. You're doing something right with him. I have a son in college as well as a son and daughter uh, still in high school, and I felt very confident in my role as mom when my kids were younger. Then suddenly they were free-thinking, independent beings, challenging everything I had to say, and I no longer felt as useful. And worse, I felt like such a nag and overly protective mama bear. This was a particularly timely podcast for me to hear right now, What really impressed me with this episode is how clearly you listen to Phoenix and are curious about what he thinks and about how he feels instead of telling him the answers. It was a great reminder to me that I could be better at listening first and putting my judgments aside and give them time and space to understand how they are feeling and be more direct in letting them know I'm here if they have questions. You two are so fun to listen to together. Please do more of these. Teens are amazing, but parenting them is challenging, and as parents, we could all use a bit more insight. Thanks, Sherry. I I think you have some amazing insights of your own. Uh, I, I totally get the mama bear thing. It's such a natural, protective response as a parent. And for myself, I've learned that in part it's a pattern that we get into when they're young and when they need everything from us. And then suddenly they don't, and we don't know how to turn this off. And at at the same time, I I think they really need us in other ways, and it can be very confusing for parents at times. And um, the listening first part, as you suggested, is so crucial, and I I make this mistake all the time. And I think we forget that however obstinate they may seem, they still need to be able to confide in us. And I've come to realize that it's through the listening that the trust is built. Not just with the kids, but I think in all of our adult relationships, when when it's clear that someone is just waiting for us to finish talking to make a point, and they're not listening to us, we eventually stop talking because really, well, what's what's the point? Yeah. You know, one, you know, one other thing I've figured out that I that helps me is to, with my kids is to share my faults and allow them to see me as a real person with flaws, so that they don't put me on too high too high of a pedestal, which I think Phoenix really appreciates. And I'm also beating him to the punch because, as I'm sure you know, Sherry, they like to point out our mistakes. And I've got an amazing conversation today with Lauren Cox that I'm excited to bring to your ears. But before we get to that, a couple of quick reminders. Highway to Health is now on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Buzzsprout, and Stitcher. So whether you're on the subway, walking the dog, cooking, or doing some menial tasks, there's always a way to hear us. Also, would you, could you... Uh, consider becoming a contributor to the project. You can donate as little as $1 a month. Uh, $1, I think maybe you could do that. Uh, or maybe 5 five or $10 a month. If not, keep listening for free. I started this project so that you could all have better resource. Uh, that being said, if you have the means and, and you appreciate the information and inspiration you get here at Highway to Health, press pause here and go over to patreon.com forward slash highway to health. That's patreon.com forward slash highway to health. It just takes a minute. And if you want to learn more about the mission of this podcast and its community, check out what I have to say in our two-minute video on the Patreon page. And thanks to those of you who have given us a rating and commented on the podcast. It really helps our visibility. Uh, We got 15 more on this this last week, so thank you so much. I've heard that some of you are having a hard time figuring out how to give a rating. So here's what you do. You go to library on your podcast app. And then scroll down to the bottom of the list of episodes and you'll see stars and a place to make comments. And don't forget, uh, Highwood Health also still has a, po- uh, a contest that we're holding through the end of February. We'd like to hear about the work you're doing to improve the lives and our collector experience in, in our communities. I'll be picking one of your projects and have you here as a guest on Highwood Health to share your story, uh, the story of your project and its mission. And don't be shy. More people need to hear about what you're doing. Email me at jeremy at highwoodhealthpodcast.com and if this is your first time listening, welcome this podcast is an exploration of of our world through the lens of health. What, what I bring to this podcast as your host is over twenty years of working in integrative health, working in coordination with nearly every field of care. but what has become even an even greater curiosity of mine yeah, th- through this experience is a, is what what that formula is that creates healthy individuals and communities. And what we can do for ourselves and what we can build into our lives that increases our own vitality and sense of connection. Uh, early in my career, I read a book where somebody broke down the word disease, uh, disease into dis-ease or lack of ease. And I, I initially loved this, but over the years, this has started to feel to me like kind of a first world way of, of looking at the word. Striving for ease, I, I believe, is, is a setup for discouragement. Life is not easy, and in my experience, if we are challenging ourselves, we will often find discomfort. But it's our relationship to our daily challenges is is what I believe we we really seek to balance. So a better way of thinking about it is is how flexible we are as we go through the struggles or how we allow things to move through us or roll off rather than harboring the energy and the flow that we are able to find as we dance with these obstacles. Lauren Cox, my de- my guest today, is a dancer, choreographer, poet, and teacher at the Joffrey School of Dance in New York City. Most of us would consider dance to be, you know, just something we do for fun, but not, not really part of our health equation. But having known Lauren for nearly a decade, I see her making the connections to community, mindfulness, and the practice of finding flow in the way we move through the world. Being a musician myself, I look for these connections and that the kind of connections that aren't always traditional forms of care, but nonetheless teach us how to stay in balance. I think uh, Lauren and I found quite the flow here, the, the jazz of conversation, if you will, which I had a feeling might happen. I really hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Here's my conversation with Lauren Cox. was your what what was your background what did you do like prior to what was your what was your education in
2: my education actually i got a degree in sociology is that right <laughs> yeah from san francisco state and i you know i kind of just went to college because it's the next thing that happens after high school right i didn't yeah. doubt the process it was just kind of the way it was in my family and so uh Yeah, I went for a sociology. I was undeclared for the first two semesters. I had no idea what I was interested in, what I wanted to do. And I think I took a a sex, um, gender, and race class. Yeah. And it was the only class that I was truly interested in. And that helped me understand how to be in this world and why this this world was the way it was, Mm. you know, in looking through the cultural systems and that was really important, especially coming from Mill Valley, California and standing out so <laughs> much, you know, all my life and yeah. not knowing why I felt so uncomfortable. Yeah. So that was a really important journey. So I got a degree in sociology. But poetry, um, I went to a very hippie elementary school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Extremely hippie. And um, in the mountains of... of um, of Timuron, actually. Oh yeah. And it was called Children's Circle Center. And I had four people <laughs> in my that grade. Sounds pretty hippie. It's so hippie. It was in a Jewish synagogue a Jewish synagogue. And um, the magic forest was our playground, you know. And so I had this teacher named Helena Jones who just passed away a couple years ago. And she believed that if you teach a child poetry, it opens something up in them that will never close. And so we were kind of her test subjects in that
1: matter, and
2: we learned poetry. I learned poetry in, you know, from first through third grade, and as a basis for all that's other pretty, subjects. That's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, yeah. And I had forgotten that because I it was so hard to find the words, right, to express. And so I started dancing to express. Hmm. And now that I've found the words again I'm finding that dance is meaning something else entirely that dance is an, no longer
1: as relevant as it was for the past 30 years so do, so does that does that like make you want to engage with it more or do you feel more drawn to the words now
2: yeah I want to know I it draws me to where the intersection is of them both hmm. that's what it draws me to yeah. it's like it's these two worlds, right, that are so, we're in this, we're in a kind of, I don't know, precipice of, of mixed society, right? Yeah. We're all mixing. Everything's mixing and yeah, becoming a yeah. fusion of sorts.
1: The, the world is just getting smaller too, like our connections to everything just keep getting smaller and smaller. It's easier to get everywhere that you, right. anywhere you want to explore in the world and our, our, our neighborhoods and our culture all start to blend together.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I I think in my travels, that's what I've noticed a lot. You know, I go to rural Bolivia and there's a Victoria's (laughs) Secret, a Bose, a, you know, Adidas store. And so it's all homogenizing, I think, you know, but it's mixed. And so even with art, we can mix. Yeah, right yeah. and so that's what i'm really interested in is mixing dance with poetry which is not a new thing no right and tazaki shange did that very yeah. well um, a lot of dance uh, companies in new york alvin Ailey and urban bushwomen and other infamous um you know explorers in the realm of dance yeah. have, have always fused these things together to create something new
1: yeah so. i i really liked your your ted piece just because i feel like if you had just been standing there reading that story, it wouldn't have had the power. There was the, the 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 light on the dancers and the way they sort of, you know, went through things together. It was that I thought that was brilliant. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean I think anything that is translated into dance, into a physical manifestation for people to see rather than to create in their own minds, it kind of brings everyone together in some ways you
1: know in a way so plus your story i mean the, the story story's undeniable i mean i've i've known you for 10 years or something but i i, know, I don't know that story i mean that's right. the thing it's like such a it's it's a, such a great way and the, it it reminded me i have i have my own story <laughs> but every time i tell my story of my sort of past everybody starts to tell me you know we, we, we think we think that people's families are sort of like very sort of homogenized too you know just like what the dynamics look like and then all of a sudden or you know we can look at someone you know for for their face value and think this is what you're like you know your 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 skin color is this you must be like this right and then you tell your story of your your grandmother coming from germany and interracial and and yeah and i'm sure and like my my background i think no one you know most people would look at me and think you know i'm a certain way and yet my my best friend was was black my babysitter was black mm. most of my friends were mixed race or mm-hmm. vietnamese or egyptian or whatever and it just mm-hmm. happened to be the neighborhood that i that i grew up in amazing and it's my it's my comfort mm-hmm. when i went to college to a liberal arts private college i felt so out of place mm. you wouldn't think that looking at me right that's that's when another one of those those stories. You know yeah. that we we don't get we don't always get those stories just looking at a person. Yeah, that's definitely. why the arts are important.
2: <laughs> so important and open conversation podcasts are important too because yeah. it's we need to have these conversations. I think we're over the time of generalizations. Of one another i mean we've yeah. we 've had a black president, we know that all black people aren 't criminals or stupid. we know that all white people are not racist. we know that all Mexicans are not drug dealers. we know that all right. muslims aren 't terrorists it 's right. over. We have so many examples, especially in New York, which is why I stay here
1: yeah. <laughs> um, and, and now it 's a matter of like how do we how do we have the appropriate conversation right you know, and I think the the thing that 's becoming confusing, and I think where maybe the arts come in. And really solve some of these you know conversation dilemmas is that you know so I, someone was telling me today this is kind of funny but I think you know the, the person that I'm talking about she has a knitting store and she's become very big in the in the knitting community because uh, because of Instagram mm-hmm. and she's made some patterns that have, have like popped up in knitting books and so people you know there there are certain kind of niche things like that like my wife's and uh, does ceramics and pottery and stuff oh, and so amazing. but worldwide it, you know you think it's very niche but then worldwide there are so many people engaged in that thing and if you if you make something beautiful to look at instagram is your place oh yeah and so you know what what started happening with with this person was that there were there started to become conversations happening um around race and knitting
2: hmm.
1: but they didn't go well. And mm-hmm. it's partly because of what happens in this in this separated space of of social media where one person throws out something that's like a challenge and the other person doesn't re- respond tactfully enough. Mm-hmm. And now it just gets blown out of proportion. And then all of a sudden there's like thousands of people involved in this conversation between two people who didn't do it well. Right. You know, because they weren't in a face-to-face situation mm-hmm. or, or because it wasn't constructive. Mm-hmm. And you know that I feel like that's the that's also where we at where we're at in the mix.
2: Yeah, totally. We have to. It's hard not to make someone else's anger your anger. I think mm. you know, especially coming from the history that we've come from in this country and in the world, really. And it's hard not to be angry, you know. And I actually had a run in with a woman on Instagram. I posted something about uh, Colin. Kepernick, Kepernick, Ka- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> horrible. I have no TV, but um, <laughs> but I posted something about him, and I got a backlash from a parent, a dance parent, I think, who follows me, or a dancer who follows me from mm-hmm. the south, and she attacked me, saying that I was generalizing, saying that you know all white people should be um, should be m- remorseful about slavery and Indian genocide. And she was really flipping it around to make it seem like I was generalizing that everyone should feel bad about this. Yeah. I think I feel bad about it, you know? Yeah. And I'm I have white ancestry. So don't you? Yeah. I, I how do you how are you separating your ancestry from you? Yeah. I don't understand that. And that's one thing teaching history now has taught me how important history is and how these wars are just they're right hand in hand with culture and dance, which I yeah. found really interesting. Oh, that's
1: really interesting,
2: right? It's war and dance. It's a dance of war. It's it's just wars and conquering and conquering and conquering and conquering, for since we've been, you know, on this planet.
1: And, and that's the that's the power of dance for me. Like there's there's something about it's 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 one of the few art forms that you just like you can't completely capture it. Yeah. And, 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 and I think we, we we try to do it in video, obviously, mm-hmm. and like we we capture some of those things. But like the power of performance and the and the energy that comes through that stuff is that kind of tension. That's you know. There's so much emotional i you know i've I've also worked just you know doing doing work with dancers' bodies who right. like have injuries, injuries. <laughs> yeah and you know and and they're and they're they you have to perform at such a high level to do some of that stuff and but it also I think some of the injuries come because there's like it's it's so dynamic when you're trying to express some of that stuff mm-hmm. and that's the power of it too, I think
2: definitely there's a lot of things that talk about dance as being a vanishing point. Or just as you arrive at the moment, it's gone. Yeah, And uh, I think Marcia Siegel, who's like an infamous um, dance um, critic. She talked about the vanishing, vanishing point of dance. And it's, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. And that's the beauty of it. We're kind of chasing this high yeah. on stage that you get when you surrender completely. And you just become whatever task it is. You know, that's the goal. And that's the goal as a teacher is to see your students achieve that. And that's the goal of the choreographer is to help your dancers achieve that, you know. And so I think, yeah, it's, it's hard to hurt yourself. Every time I start dancing, I'm like, wait a second, am I going to hurt myself doing this? Yeah. You know, I think it, it comes with just, you know, a little bit dancing older, dancing, you know, when you're more mature. Yeah, is yeah. just about knowing your limits. Yeah, you know, so it's important to know your limits. I think,
1: and when and when you're younger, I mean, I, this was I, I had to uh, decide to stop playing basketball a couple of years ago because I tore my Achilles tendon. Oh, dang! <laughs> but you know, I I, I, I got into my forties. It's fine. Yeah, but but it's Other but it, uh, yes, yeah, on onto on the next thing, yeah. playing drums. But <laughs> but um, but the you know that there's there's there is that sort of like that the energy that that these young dancers bring is so incredible and when it's you know when it's taught and and when they're educated well on this stuff which is now what you're involved in that is really how you you know you, you you build these you know dancers and this and this art form and it takes it takes somebody who can really you know do that well well yeah you have to be
2: able to explain it it's triggering right, right. I, mean, I think we've I've, we've both been around functional fitness to where yeah. it's you have to give them triggers yeah. in order to activate the right muscles, release right. the right muscles, and to really think about your axis and your center point and the 360 degrees that lie around that axis. Right. If you find that axis, ooh, you're golden. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what I strive to teach my students, is just to think about that axis and where to adjust around it. Yeah. And um, And I think because my body went from a place of complete contortion and disarray and disconnection from the time I was born until... Maybe a few years ago, hmm. you know. I mean, you knew what I was yeah. going through yeah. and the things that I have in my body and scoliosis and lordosis and my spine is twisted and I have hypermobility, so yeah. therefore less access to my <clears throat> muscular strength. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, I mean, and the, and the
1: thing is, people watching you dance would never right. would, would never pick up on that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I I even think I had something similar where I was you know there there was an aspect of what I was trying to learn through movement that wasn't all about movement either there was like layers of other things going on in there which is another one of those things that I think dance does so well
2: oh always yeah always it's tied hand in hand with life yeah i had a student come to me the other day and I think before last semester, he was saying he was sitting out in my class every day. This hurts, that hurts, this hurts, complaining every day. And I don't mess around, so <laughs> I would, you know, I would say, "You're not sitting out today." I would challenge him and say, no, know, you're not sitting out today." You know, you're when, when fine. can you move? <laughs> right, exactly. You need to figure out how to adjust. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. Not just give up. And he had some kind of revelation over the break and. He came to me and said, wow, I've, I, I, I have let go of everybody else's idea of who I am, right? I realized that I was really worried about what everyone else was thinking about me. Mm-hmm. And, and now I don't worry anymore. And now I feel so much more in control of my body. And I said, do you see? That's because you're in control of your life now. You're not worrying about other people. You're in control of your life and you're in control of your body. It's reflective. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it goes hand in hand, life and dance. Any dancer will tell you <laughs> that moment Oops. of, yeah. It was a really beautiful thing to, to realize with him.
1: Yeah, that's really amazing. So where did you, where did you study? Where, where, was your, where was your training for dance? So all over the place. After the, I, after the dance <laughs> poetry part.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I started out, my mom put me in ballet when I was three, tap when I was three. And I went up to the ballet teacher and I said, I don't like this and I'm not coming back. I couldn't stand ballet and I really wish that I had loved it because I love it now.
1: But What, what do you think you didn't like about it then?
2: I didn't, I, my body was really contorted hmm. and it was not what other girls look like. And I don't think I like the structure because I, I was raised by hippies. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so the structure of it, I think, was just too rigid yeah, for my yeah. young mind at the yeah, time. Totally. I was just like, no, this is not, no. Um, so then I found rhythmic gymnastics and I found that at six and my PE teacher was a rhythmic gymnastics coach at this hippie elementary school and she saw that I had a sway back and knock knees and hypermobility and she goes, rhythmic gymnastics. Huh. And I was like, okay, well, let's check it out. So my mom took me to see and... It was just love at first sight. How,
1: how, do, you do, how do you describe rhythmic gymnastics to someone who doesn't know about it?
2: Yeah, rhythmic sportive gymnastics, as they like <laughs> to call it now. Yes, because it's in the Olympics, so you got to make it a sport. Oh. Um, so it is basically like contortion, dance, um, using apparatus, right? You have the ball, ribbon, hoop, oh, okay. clubs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. all of those apparatuses. And you have different elements that accumulate to a high score. So if I do this element back to back with this element and this element, then that will give me a high score, higher score. So the the harder,
1: you know, you get the, the higher score, you know, you can so like jumps and things that you do with the devices and
2: yeah if you if you throw it up and you don't look at it when you catch it, if you catch it in uh, your back, if you catch it without looking, if you catch it with your you know left kneecap, i mean that's not possible, but right. you know it's yeah, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I get it <laughs> yeah then it it it's kind of it's it's that when I was growing up, it wasn't that extensive yet it yeah. was it was um uh, more dance with a with an apparatus, yeah right. And, and so I just fell in love with it because I got to pick my own leotard and my own music and my own color and everything was red, Uh. red leotard, red lips, red ball, red everything. I did it to the tango, you know? So I was, that was, and I had a lot of anger, I think, that I was trying to express. Mm. And so... I loved it for its individuality. You know, it really catered to my personality. And so it's a very unconventional way yeah. to learn because it's contortion. It goes against what your body is supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and with that, you take ballet and modern and Pilates is what we did. But, okay. Um, so I did that until I was 17, from 6 to 17, and until I walked in one day and I fell out of love. And I was like, Next. And then I studied hip hop for a long time in the Bay Area. With, like, what age? Um, 17.
1: Okay.
2: Age 17 to, I believe, 23, 24. And um, it was a lot of foundation, a lot of foundational hip hop, which I really loved because that was my music, right? And my connection what to you, what, black what, culture in this did, lovely did, did you have a suburban different, land.
1: Did you have a different color scheme at that point?
2: Different color scheme, yes. I was out of the red phase, really. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I don't know what it was, earth tones, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah. And and I did. We did. I did that for six years. I had my own youth troop in that time. And then I was like, "What am I doing after college?" I said, "What am I doing?" I got to move.
1: Did you did you dance through college at all?
2: I did. I danced through college doing uh, doing, all doing all of that. I worked actually with Stanford University doing um, an after school study for diabetes prevention through dance, and I studied. Dunham Technique, actually, at San Francisco State University. Dunham Technique. Well, little do we know. Dunham Technique is the basis of jazz dance. Uh-huh. It is a modern technique created by Catherine Dunham, who mixed African-American vernacular dance with Haitian cultural dances and ballet.
1: Where Where was she from? She's
2: from Chicago, I believe. Uh, yes,
1: That's interesting.
2: Yeah. And so... I was studying all of that and getting this degree. And then I was like, there's got to be more to life. And I went to Brazil. And I went to Brazil for a year.
1: During college? Or uh, after college. No, after college. Mm-hmm.
2: After college. And I studied samba, Afro-Brazilian, and uh, capoeira with the blind scent yeah, master. Yeah. yeah. And learned Portuguese and samba every weekend. And just needed to get away from American, the pressures of, I don't know, success, yeah. I guess, you know. And standing and culture, out so much. Culture
1: too is just like so so different.
2: Oh my God! It's night and day. It's it's such a love of art there, and that's what really I gravitated there for. It was just that the art scene, the culture scene, is just vibrant. Yeah, they appreciate art so deeply.
1: So what's the what's the emotion that you feel like you channel when you're when you're dancing that stuff?
2: Brazil. Yeah. Oof sensuality yeah yeah it's so sensual there it's so free and open and loving of self there you know there's no stipulations there's no remorse of being who you are there yeah you know
1: so do you feel like it affected the way that you felt in your body at all
2: oh completely and totally completely i was because i blend in i look brazilian yeah so first of all no one's staring at me no one's expecting things of me I I blend in and so my body blended in and then plus with the vibrant fruits and vegetables and and sun constant sun constant beach constant culture and swinging of your hips you know if you're doing the samba all the time yeah. and you're swinging your hips like that then it just loosens up your whole spine it yeah. loosens up your mind it loosens up your entire way of being and yeah. you know my dark circles under my eyes disappeared <laughs> completely and totally and my you know it was just it was a cleansing it was a cleansing wow
1: so mm-hmm. so how long were you there for
2: i was there for a year i was only supposed to be there for three months ah. i went with a backpack <laughs> <laughs> and i stayed for a year
1: you picked up a few things along the way i'm sure oh yeah yeah yeah. i came back <laughs> with like three suitcases
2: <laughs> it was too good not to really beautiful
1: stuff there so so where where from brazil
2: Uh, Brazil. After Brazil, I went back to San Francisco to save some money. Uh, In Brazil, I had the revelation of, I need to go to New York. Hmm. And uh, it was just a calling. I was dancing in my room one night and saying, oh, oh my God, dance. I have to pursue dance to the best of my ability. Otherwise, I'm going to regret it. I have to do this. This is what I've loved, but I haven't necessarily made a priority. And at that time, I was... 25, I think, which is kind of late for, you know, to become a professional dancer. Although I had been training since I was, you know, three years old. It's just, um, so, But to learn the
1: business of it and figure out how you're going to make a living Mm -hmm. at it. Exactly.
2: Exactly. Ooh, that has been a journey.
1: So so where did you land here?
2: So I landed in Harlem, actually. And I've been in Harlem the whole time. Uh, I'm going on my ninth year here. And I landed here. The only program that accepts um, over 25-year-olds <laughs> is the Broadway Dance Center ah. at the time. I don't know if they still accept that, but the cutoff for most dance programs is 24 to 25. So I was 26 upon moving here, going on to 27. So I went to Broadway Dance Center just to get in there. And I, the first class I took was Sheila Barker, which was a jazz dance class. And I cried just tears of joy because I was doing it. One, two, I had found a teacher that we just connected instantly. Mm. And jazz was something that felt so good in my body that I had I had been doing jazz my entire life and I didn't know what to call it. Yeah. Hip hop is jazz, right? right? Um, and all of these social dances that I would do in the clubs and everything is jazz, samba, jazz. Everything mm-hmm. comes from that yeah, jazz, yeah. bossa nova, yeah. you know. And so it was such a culmination. And I don't think I realized it until a couple months ago, actually, how much that that class was just a convergence of everything that I had been studying. Mm. And, and so I cried from my center during that first class And I studied under Sheila Barker for five years straight, three days a week, and in jazz, and just tried to eat up everything. And we're still studying it together. We have a really beautiful friendship now. Oh,
1: that's so nice. And
2: just like, you know, just really trying to dig into what it is and where it came from and where the disconnect is now today and how to bring it back
1: to, you know. The soul. you got involved in uh, some stuff pretty early on, though. Didn't you like start? You were getting some gigs. I mean, it seemed like, yeah,
2: well, yeah. The first gig I ever got was Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I know,
1: I, <laughs> I was so broke. Was it, was that, was that, well, that wasn't the Alicia Keys thing, was it? That was next, that wow. was
2: my next gig.
1: But what was the Saturday Night Live?
2: Saturday Night Live, I, 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 I got signed by an agency. Um, within the first year that I was here because I went to this program called Motivating Excellence by Rhapsody James and it was to help the commercial dancer and she invited all of the New York agents to our final show and so I got signed um, the day after basically and so my first gig was Saturday night I didn't have to audition i just direct book Saturday Night Live, because I looked like the girl that they wanted, you know, the opposite. And it was a Thanksgiving episode, and I was dancing behind Sweaty Keith, (laughs) who was talking about (laughs) dripping gravy. Oh, my God. And so I was so broke, Jeremy, that I could not afford, my contacts had ripped the day before, the two, couple days before, and I couldn't afford to buy contacts because those contacts piss me off every time I go <laughs> in to pay for it. It's like one hundred and fifty dollars a box. I'm, yeah. It just makes me nuts. But I couldn't afford contacts, and so I did the entire gig without able to see anything. I was on set for Saturday Night Live, and I could not see. Maybe it was for the Who better, was though. next to me? I could not see the audience. I could not see that you know my childhood idol, um, Keenan. No, not Keenan. Yeah. Yeah, it was Keenan um, from Keenan and Kel. You know, yeah. was standing right next to me the entire time. I looked over halfway through, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> you know, Florence and the Machine was singing there. She was on that episode, wow. and Paul Rudd was on that episode. I mean, it was like, I, it was surreal, and I had deja vu walking in there, but I couldn't see Jack.
1: <laughs> That's crazy.
2: But I had deja vu. It was it was in the soul.
1: Huh. Yeah. So that was my first gig. How long how long were you in New York before that happened? A year. That's amazing.
2: Yeah, a year. And it was so funny because it was the easiest choreography I've ever done in my life. And I'm thinking, wow, I studied twenty years to do this body roll. And this is what's <laughs> gonna make me as a dancer, is this, you know, Saturday Night Live gig. But it's just to be among professionals yeah. is just yeah. the best feeling. So yeah.
1: Wow. That so then, so then, how did the Alicia Keys thing happen?
2: Um, the Alicia Keys happened because of an amazing woman named Luam, who was her choreographer, and it was the same thing. I was direct book, and it was for Black Girls Rock, and mm. on BET. And I think I had short hair at the time, and my opposite had short hair. I was booking stuff because there was other, you know, yeah. women who looked like me that had short hair, and they needed an opposite, and I was. The new person on the scene, right? So yeah. I was fresh in my agent's mind, yeah. Yeah. which really makes a difference to stay fresh in your you in know. the minds of people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so yeah, and I and we did it, and it was it was also because uh, they were using a ribbon. It was for Girl on Fire. And they were using a ribbon, which is rhythmic gymnastics, right? you were psyched. And so she called me in to ask me, you know, how do I use this thing? And so I helped her figure out, you know, tell her all the options that she can do. And so we choreographed this whole routine with everybody. And then the day of, she said, Lauren, everyone else is cut but you. You're going to get a solo with Alicia Keys. And I was like, shut up. Shut up. (laughs) And she was like, no, seriously. And I just kept telling her to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I had grown up watching TV shows and award shows, thinking, look at there's a rhythmic gymnast on there. I could do that. You know, I can do that. That wasn't that hard. Wow. And then it manifested in a matter of seconds. I didn't even expect I didn't wasn't hired for the solo. It's just that I knew how to move a ribbon. Yeah. You know? and so that was surreal it was
1: what color were you wearing for this thing
2: my ribbon was red
1: (laughs) it was red i had a feeling oh
2: my gosh it's glorious Mm. i never thought about it until right now (laughs) oh my god it was my outfit was gold and black and it was a red ribbon wow life is great amazing
1: And then, so, so since like I, I, last time I I talked to you, you were getting ready to go. You were, weren't you going? Didn't you go to like India or?
2: Yeah, first I went to Hong Kong. Oh, you went to Hong Kong. That's right. I did. I did an amazing <clears> show in the at the Hong Kong Coliseum for thirty thousand people a night for I think fifteen shows for a woman named Joey Young, who is an infamous pop star in in uh, Hong Kong. And it was a long, long show. And it was an amazing show. Crazy costumes and, and all of these things. So I did that for six weeks. and then, What were you doing?
1: Were you performing? Were you teaching? Or?
2: Yeah, I taught a little bit, but performed with her. We were backup dancing for mm. her in a 360-degree stage built out of wood where you had to get on the stage using elevators. Wow. <laughs> You'd just strike a pose and come up in an elevator. There was even one number where we came up in an egg. And then the egg split open and we jumped out. There was one time the egg did not open and me and my my friend Diva got very claustrophobic in there, but we jumped out eventually and strutted along the stage. But it was it was an amazing feeling to 30,000 people. I was turned 30 on stage wow. at that point. And it was with some good friends. The choreographer is a good friend of mine, Joanna Namada. So yeah, that was amazing. And then shortly after I had planned a trip to India, to Hyderabad, India with... Uh, Steps Dance Studio and lined up some classes to teach their Western Dance Workshop with um, adult students.
1: Yeah, I remember seeing some of the pictures from that. That looked amazing.
2: Yeah, it's it was incredible. It was very. What were you teaching there? I was teaching hip hop and contemporary at that time. I hadn't discovered that I was a jazz teacher
1: yet. Oh. (laughs) Um,
2: (laughs) So that was a whole journey, you know. And um, I was teaching hip-hop and contemporary. And then I had linked up with a phenomenal woman who was there teaching uh, at orphanages and girls' shelters. And I had raised money in the States. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I was like, look, I'm going to just go to an orphanage or go somewhere and try to give back whatever I need to with this money that you all give me. So just, you know, let's do this. And so I raised something like $1,000 only. And I went there, I met with Amber and she was at a girl's shelter and a rock orphanage and rock orphanage has 300 kids. Uh, the girl's shelter had, was very small, but girls were dropped off daily with bleach stains and, and, um, you know, mental disability and everything like that. And, we danced for hours and hours with those girls. They never wanted us to leave. Yeah. And one day, they we and at the end, we would always bring them cookies or snacks or something. Mm-hmm. And one day, they were fighting over the cookie box, empty cookie box. And I said, well, what do you, why do you guys want that? And they said, just something to store our stuff in. And I was like, oh, okay, just a plastic cookie box. They just wanted yeah. anything to put their stuff in, whatever little that they had. And so I use the money that i raised here to get them lunch boxes full of beautiful things to adorn themselves with um as well as toothbrushes and other things oh that's so cool and then a picture of our time together so i printed out we printed out oh, pictures that's of so us sweet and the picture was the thing that they endured that they adored the most
1: do you still have any contact with um no
2: i don't there was i Did produce a show in 2000, I think shortly after that, I think in 2014, that sent one of the girls from the Rock Orphanage to college. So I did sponsor a child. um, Wow, that's cool. Through that, yeah. But that was so much work. um, And I also realized that there's so much work to be done here at home that I don't want to necessarily subscribe to the savior complex and go to another country and try to fix things when we all need fixing and there's so much to do here so i've been trying to figure out what that is yeah
1: yeah so who who are your students here now
2: so my students here are from joffrey ballet school jazz and contemporary program and um the ailey school for the junior division yeah. And then I have students over the all over the world. I have students in Bolivia that I go see every year. And um yeah.
1: What's the what's what, what is what's in Bolivia? What's the is it a school?
2: Yeah, my my really good friend Maria Aviles has a wonderful program called Menina Dance Programs. And she hosts various things throughout the year, but she does Marie Menina Summer Dance, which happens to be our winter. So I'm very happy to leave the winter and go <laughs> to Bolivia in the summer. And um, a couple of years ago, I went for three months and traveled all of Bolivia, which is just an amazing country. So It, it is so underestimated for its beauty and happiness. I think it's mm, the third yeah. happiest country in the world. Yeah. It's really amazing and 50% indigenous still. Um, So it is really wonderful. I went there and taught for Minina dance programs uh, just a couple weeks ago, actually, for three weeks this time. And I teach jazz now (laughs) and improv and... Hip hop. She has me teach hip hop. Still, it's the only place I will ever teach street jazz again. I'm yeah. sure.
1: <laughs> what's their experience? I can imagine like hip hop's mm-hmm. probably everywhere in the world. What's what's their experience totally. with with jazz? Do they do they know much about it or
2: no? They do not know much about jazz. I find that a lot of people don't know much about jazz. Yeah. Um, a lot of international programs include jazz, but maybe they just say maybe they just stick to Broadway. Right? It's Broadway is yeah. where you can see most jazz nowadays. Um, so it's a very commercialized version of what jazz actually is yeah. around the world. Um, some of it is just hyper-sexualized to pop music and is is um, really losing its deeper meaning. Yeah. And, you know, through a bad game of telephone, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: And um, so, no, they don't have... Well, rock and
1: roll also probably disrupted that whole... Yeah. Bit right. I mean, it's sort of like when bebop to rock and roll, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, we we've seen the rock and roll uh, dance video, right? You know, it's, it's not it's not that pretty.
2: I know. I'm trying to imagine what that looks like. I well, don't
1: you had know. the you know the twist and the oh right
2: right right the twist that was huge. Know,
1: just the, the
2: I mean, those are all social dances, and those are all completely valid within the scope of jazz. It's still jazz.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it was also mostly like white teenagers trying to learn how to dance. Right. Who wasn't culturally acceptable. It was a rebellious thing to dance at that point.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: As you remember That's in Footloose. To think
2: about. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I love Footloose.
1: But I think here the the, the thing I, I I was you know seeing in some of the stuff you have written is, is like about mindfulness and and dance and sort of like the community aspect of of dance, which is like the thing that also is sort of driving you know what I'm exploring with the podcast because I feel like that's certainly an American culture, and you know you might be able to speak about this from from other places, but I feel like it it is it is partly where the breakdown tends to happen even in terms of like our, our human connections and, and, in health, you, you know, we, we, we know now there's like the science of, of loneliness and of, you know, isolation that's becoming a much bigger part of, of what's going on. And dance used to be one of those things that really kept us connected. It was a social thing. It was something that was like, you know, it got people's bodies close together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we get, we got to sort of experience our physicality through, through dance. And I, you know, it's, it's one of those things I feel like is sort of missing now. And Mm I, and I, my surprisingly, my, my wife and I will like, we she has some younger co-workers who like to go out and dance, so mm-hmm. we go out. But the, sometimes we can't get people to go out and dance, and we'll just we'll just like get a sitter and go find something that's going nice. on and go dance. Amazing, because I just feel like so it's one of those things there. that you also you you can still like it's it's, a, it's such a great way to let down in 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 a way that you can't do any other way.
2: It's necessary. Yeah, yeah, it's necessary for the body to release in that way. Yeah, otherwise we're just sitting and walking and running or. Push-upping, or you know, whatever it is, yeah. and it, there's no release.
1: Yeah, the, the kind of exercise that we engage in is is so so like confined. Even you know, exactly. the, the, what we've what we've accepted is like the healthy way to take care of our bodies doesn't really make that much sense.
2: Right, right. It's all regimented.
1: Right. It's yeah. Less about freedom.
2: Yeah, I think dance is will always be relevant. I think it just goes through. These little phases. Right now it is super commercialized. Dance was not this popular when I was growing up, even, you know? Now it's everywhere. Yeah. I was actually on the very first dance show.
1: What what show? (laughs) I don't
2: even remember what. It was called Dance 360. It was on UPN Network, which no longer exists. And it was with Kel and uh, this other, oh, I forgot this actor's name. But it, it was Dance 360, you know, and that was kind of like the beginning of, of dance being on TV and dance being cool and like anything that is... Well,
1: you're, you're too young to remember Dance Fever, though.
2: Right, Dance Fever. You know what? I actually take that back. I'm not going to claim that I was on the first dance show. I'm a horrible person. I am. That just shows like how naive that I am because there is that and there is also Soul Train. We oh, cannot Soul forget Train. the Soul oh. Train. That is goals. Some, some Please amazing... edit that out. I did not say that. <laughs> I did not say that I was on the first dance show.
1: It, it, it was the the next wave of, right. of dance.
2: Maybe I don't know what it was now. But I, my, I th- my
1: whole world is shattered now. <laughs> but I, I think you're right, though. I think there's this like growing popularity that I, I think it, it did it did lose something in terms of like a, a as an as an entertainment in a way. You know, right. and and the fact that we started watching it on on television all of a sudden, I I remember like sitting around watching Dance Fever and the competition part of it. Right. A, I mean, it was it was it was very similar to Soul Train and the and right. the way it was set up. But I mean, the the outfits. It was and,
2: probably more about style, though. It was about style, yeah. but it, and
1: it was but it was also sort of about like regular people being right. able to do it. Right. And and it was a way to kind of almost show culture a little bit. Like I think with. In 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 those dance shows, you would you would see more diversity than you would in your in your normal life for most people, yeah. certainly in Middle America.
2: Yeah, definitely, it was a really big tool in exposing everyone in a different light. I yeah. think, right? Yeah, for people who were not necessarily exposed to different ways and different types of people.
1: Yeah, when I yeah. first when I first moved to New York, I remember having some friends who would invite me to these things. They would just call them parties, <laughs> you know, and and they were just people would rent out this was like sort of um, i think it was like east village maybe no. they would just rent out these they were they were like bars and restaurants would have these downstairs spaces mm. where you could you could rent the space hire a hire a dj yeah and and then you would have your, I think you would, either the restaurant or they would hire their own bartender mm. and then someone would come and spin and they would just be dancing going on.
2: Oh, you can still do that? Yeah.
1: And oh, yeah. and, and I, I, I like that didn't exist other places I've lived and I thought yeah. that was like the best thing ever. And Nadia Davenport was DJing one time, the uh, singer from, she was in Brand New Heavies and she's, she's, she's amazing. I was like one of my, one of my favorite singers and all of a sudden she's like there DJing at this. Party. <laughs> amazing but yeah. yeah new york will do that to you
2: yeah when i first landed in new york you know i to train and to gather because i had studied so many different styles of dance that i wanted to make a cohesive style that was me you know yeah um and i went to the house clubs you know that played house music yeah right so with house i went to funk box right And I went there every single Sunday, Mm -hmm. every Sunday from 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. and just danced all night long, enciphered all night long. And you worked it out, you know. I was also going to another um, freestyle jam or session that was called Project Valentine at the time. And it was... You know, all of these amazing dancers that would come and we would just stand in one circle and you would go in one by one to different songs one by one and that was the best training that I've ever gotten. Hmm. Best training I've ever gotten. You learn so much by putting pressure on yourself to go in the middle
1: of a cypher, right? And to And is it just a lot of dancers?
2: Oh yeah, or mostly.
1: Is, well, mostly all dancers. Mostly
2: dancers of different backgrounds, right? Okay. You've mostly hip hop, you have contemporary, you have people that are you know, infuse salsa or, you know, reggaeton, you have yeah. all of these different styles that come in to, uh, and, and confuse together. And it showed me that dance can be expanded outside yeah. of, you know, one music or one genre. You don't have to stick to one thing. It can intermingle.
1: Right. Cause when you study it, you know that like, well, they're mixing, you know, these different styles. Right.
2: Right. Exactly. But I didn't know that before. I was just, everyone was staying in their lane, you know, in the circles that I was in. So New York really blew my mind in terms of all the possibilities. Yeah, Yeah, all of the possibilities. It still does. I'm just like, wow, because now the new thing in New York now is immersive theater and um, immersive theater and immersive dance. So audience members no longer just want to sit and watch, right? You want to be a part of the play. Yeah. Um, I was a part of this immersive theater called Seeing You that was basically about Frank Sinatra's Hoboken in 1941. <laughs> so you walk into this space and you walk into the community of Hoboken who is at a very volatile state because they're all going to war the next day. And so you get to follow the character that you would like to um, follow and and hear their story and uh so and then you talk to them you know i would talk to you as my character Mm. which was always a challenge whenever i saw somebody i knew right like hey challenge for them one of my (laughs) friends was like lord oh my god you look so good i'm just like joan i'm joan you know (laughs) so it's um so yeah, it's immersive is a new thing. And that really mixes everything. I mean, there's so many immersive th- um, projects out there to just expand the mind of the audience, yeah. right? That's what it's about. That's what dance has always been about is yeah. to to try and help expand the mind of the audience
1: in whatever way possible. And, it, and, and that's more experiential. So you actually right. get to like, you know, have a really... Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the one thing a lot of times I, I feel like there are people who are like, they they like dance or they they see dance and they think ah that was sort of okay not not really getting the the amount of like intense training and effort and everything that, that goes into these movements. And then when you, if you try to do any dance, I mean, I've taken some dance classes before yeah, and I've, I've you know studied, you know, maybe like six different things and I'm not a good dancer <laughs> <laughs> in that way. I can shake it otherwise, but. I was about to say, you must be, that's all you got to do. You just have to but, choreograph the shake. But, 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 you know, when you try to, when you try to learn steps, I mean, you can work and, and and then and postures and like trying to trying to get your lines right and stuff that's it's it's amazing how how hard it is and how much time it takes
2: yeah it does take a lot of time to be able to pick up choreography quickly is a is a skill in and of itself and that's something my that jazz teaches you mm. um jazz dance teaches you very clearly is how to pick up and leave your mind behind essentially and let yeah. your body take over yeah. and let it be from mu- muscle memory because our body remembers everything, as you know, for, yeah. through your practice. And so, if you let the mind go, your body will remember it. Right. But it is definitely uh, a skill, and it's a skill that you can master. But it, it does take a lot. <laughs> it's wonderful, though.
1: So how, so, how did you? How do you define the the uh, mindfulness part of, of of what you're kind of talking about now with, with, with dance, or like how what what, what is that to you?
2: mindfulness and dance is uh seems it's very broad right i i always go back to the idea that it, life and dance go seeing, hand in uh, hand uh, yeah
1: yeah it's sort of the same I mean, i'm just kind of wondering if it gets to this what you were just talking about is is it like the is it the letting go part and mm. you know finding that presence or like mm. what you know what is it what is it for you
2: yeah i think for me it's been about surrender completely and totally it's about you know you fight for so long to learn and to gather all of these different techniques you fight you fight you fight for it you fight to get the choreography you fight to get the job you fight 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 and then once you find it you realize all along that it was just about releasing that you had it all along you just had to release all of these negative uh, thought patterns all of these bad habits all of these um worries or or Mind, I guess, your mind full of doubts and competition, which is what I was dealing with coming from rhythmic gymnastics, because rhythmic gymnastics is so highly competitive. I had, it took me years to get rid of that competitive side of me. Yeah. And um, to just realize that it, the competition is with yourself and that you, have only, you only need to take away, you know, and just strip down and to not fight so hard, yeah. you know? But I mean, I think there comes a point to where that changes, right? That light switch kind of changes. I, no,
1: I I I get that though just from like my last few years of trying to learn to play drums. And I and I was right. a bass player, so like I've always been attentive to the drums and I I kind of know how to play off of it. Mm. But when you're starting to learn the, you know, when you're getting down to timing, you know, you're you're breaking each piece of the kit down into like, you know, eighths or sixteenths or fourths, and the, you know the, the bass drum pattern is one thing and the snare is doing one other thing, and you might do fills and mixing things. But if you get too contained within just the counting, you have to do the. You have to do that work first, right? But then you have to let it go, which is the jazz, right? right. I, mean, that's I was just right. about to say that. <laughs> you have to know the rules in order to break them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and but and I, I always felt that way as a basketball player too. And which is you know it, it's it's interesting that that ended up being my sport, and then music came later. But that there's something about basketball that was always this rhythmic mm. piece that like. These flow states happened in mm-hmm. basketball and, and you know, they they say some people are like a, a dribble shooter or whatever, where you, you have to get into this certain flow before you do the shot or, you know, you, you know, you, you have certain kinds of like rhythmic patterns that you find that work for you, whether you're going to go right or left or different things. And you just find that rhythm after a while you don't, you don't think about it. And, and again like if you if you get too caught up in the competition as you were saying like it it doesn't work if you're too focused on the on the defender or something it's really about like what works for you and how you move through something that you have to find
2: exactly exactly it is that it, it's that that flow is the goal right It feels so good when you find that flow that's been the goal of everything and now I think zooming out of just training as a dancer now i'm trying to find that flow within life right yeah and with jobs as a freelancer <laughs> you know you kind of want things to flow in and out which was my entire last year was flowing in and out so now how can we keep this going what's left over and what is it to flow from this space now yeah
1: you know And anyone can find that in any, any sort of day and i think we don't yeah. we don't You know, think about that part of our, you know, I think we, uh, I think that's really interesting the the whole bit about like the struggle and the, and the fight, like we, the the more we get sort of caught up in this, you know, survival mode Mm -hmm. or this survival mentality, Mm -hmm. the less we can find the flow for ourselves too. Mm -hmm.
2: Definitely. It's very hard not to tap into that survival mode, especially
1: living in New York. Living in New York and trying to be in in a, in a creative endeavor.
2: Exactly. Exactly, the hustle is real, but it is there is a flow here that you feel. You know there is one, and yeah, I think it comes from trust. You know, it comes from trust in yourself and your abilities and your network.
1: You sort of flow in and out with people here too. I always, I I kind of, I I was on the subway for the first time again today. I mean, oftentimes when I come, I'm just in Brooklyn. I don't even leave. But but the, the last the last couple of trips I've been into the city and, and there's the, and the, I I love now just almost kind of aimlessly getting on the subway and having to go someplace and being just moving through with the with the masses and mm-hmm. like sort of being in that I, I, it's it's not something I have in Minneapolis at this mm-hmm. point you know you're so like individualized mm-hmm. in the way that you move through your day and and I and I think it you know the the I always thought that was kind of the cool thing about New York is that your day is somewhat dependent on, you know, these, these interactions that you're kind of having. Sometimes it's just, you know, just people's glances or, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's a conversation sometimes it's somebody who needs help. Sometimes you need help.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's all about the decisions. It's a lot of weight is put on decisions and how you choose to react to things and yeah, how people choose to react to you. (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing i love the the flow in new york every time you know i was traveling for the past two months and i came in and out of new york and every time it finally felt like home you know after nine years it was just like oh now i feel this feels like home all right you know i know this i i i love this it re it it re-energizes me now to come back here. It's like a battery pack in yeah. New York, you know, it's a battery pack and then you go elsewhere and spread the knowledge that you've learned here because dance is the highest in the world here, you yeah, know yeah. and so to, to know this community here, to be a part of the community here is such a huge honor yeah. that you want to do it justice and yeah. I want to do ja- dance justice. I love dance too much to watch people screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> is what I like to tell my class. Yeah. Usually, you know, I, I love dance too much to see you mess it up like that. Yeah, you know. So <laughs> let's let's all do a little bit better here. That's let's nice all way. be a little bit more mindful, please. You know. Yeah. And um, I think people just you know you learn how to work here. I learned how to work in New York. Yeah. California, I learned maybe how to relax. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you learn how to relax in Cali and you learn how to work mm, in New York yeah. and then you take it to the world, and which is, which is, yeah, it's, it's very hard. It's interesting to see other people's work ethic. Bolivia's work ethic is completely different than New York, you know. And so I find that most of the, most of the conversation between me and the students in other countries is how to work, not necessarily even dance, but like how to work. You know, and um, and that's also a very Western way of seeing things, right? Yeah. So then, also, also stepping back and seeing, oh, this is the way you all work too, and that is completely valid as well. So let's have this cultural back to the cultural exchange and yeah. back to this conversation, you know, of you're valid, I'm valid. Let's bring it all together, you know, and create something new.
1: Yeah. Right the best parts I mean I think that's what New York is too in in many ways and what draws people here yeah. I mean some people might argue there's there's some of the worst parts too but i I, oh, totally, I, yeah. I mean I that's that's that is you know this city in, in a lot of ways it's, that's life it, it, yeah. It is, and it is life it it's is history it's <laughs> I mean I think that's one of those pieces of like if you can make it here kind, yeah. kind of thing is that I, I think you learn to kind of ride that flow just a little bit like you know today was today sucked right and and that's and that's all right and you can express that and you probably have somebody really close to you here because you're going to be in proximity to somebody where you can just express that you know and you can also you know you get to have that joy with somebody on on another day
2: right and you get to uplift each other another day because everyone's here a lot of my network um nobody's from here and so we become each other's family you know so over a bottle of wine, we can all figure it out. (laughs) So it's been really nice to find the family here, you know, and I come home here and people are like, welcome home. And I'm like, oh, even people on my block, took them two years to get used to me, but (laughs) after that two years, you're a staple, you know? Yeah, totally. And you walk down and people are like, welcome back, sis. And so it's a really lovely feeling of community, even beyond the dance community. And Now it's really wonderful because when I'm going into these auditions, or rehearsals or jobs there's rarely somebody that i don't know and so that's really great and then if there isn't somebody that i there is somebody that i don't know then it's like oh where are you you know where are you coming from and the dance community is so supportive in that way which i think is very different from a lot of other artist communities but dance community especially in new york is such a tight-knit group and so supportive and so free-flowing and and um, that's one of the things that I've learned from New York and from dancers here is that sense of community. Because yeah. again, coming from an individualized culture, yeah. such as Californian suburbs, um, where you are just hop in your car and go about your day, it, it's taught me what community was. I didn't really know what yeah. it was outside of my family.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I, I think I came here for that reason too. I yeah. came I came to visit some friends in Brooklyn in like '99. Actually, for New Year's Eve, nineteen ninety nine. Nice, kind of awesome. Nice, um, and and I went to go oh, to like that's an
2: amazing New Year's. Wow.
1: Yeah, and I and I came to collect some. We went with my friend to go get some. You know, went to a cheese store or something. Went to get some wine. I think we went to a video store to drop off some. Back in the day with the uh, blockbuster. Yeah, well, um, R.I.P. And, and I and I just felt like every. Everything was kind of an event. I felt like mm-hmm. each place I went to, there was, like, people mm-hmm. knew her, with having conversations, I got introduced, suddenly I'm in this conversation with somebody, and I felt like that's what I've been missing. That's mm-hmm. that's what I was looking for, which is sort of why I ended up in, in the area that I ended up in, and why, you know, I created everyday athlete with those guys too which is where we know each other from but but it's like that it was it was that was what i was looking to build and i feel like that's also kind of what's happening with the podcast right now like i'm that's what i want to see more happen of Mm -hmm. happen around this you know some of the things some of the ideas that that i think brilliant people like you
2: (laughs) are
1: are are you know involved and engaged with. I feel mm-hmm. like there's 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 amazing stuff going on. It's very easy to sort of focus on on the negative, you know, tit-for-tat stuff that's going on in, in social media and in the well, culture in general. Well, that's what they want you to focus
2: on, you <clears throat> right, know? right.
1: Absolutely. And I, I'm just trying to... I, I felt like I... I, I maybe not so strangely i started the podcast in like october of of 2016 wow <laughs> i must have uh, been been in it was maybe some form of therapy for me to like yeah. d- deal, deal with what's going point. on
2: hey i yeah that you know. day it mm. was raining cats and dogs in new york
1: that day i remember
2: <laughs> everyone was sad
1: yeah so i you know that that's that that that's part of you know i i feel like there needs to be more focus on on something constructive and Definitely. you know that you know in terms of like health have it be focused more on an improvement and empowerment rather than you know just on like you know dealing with symptoms yeah so
2: yeah and that's kind of the key to success right at least my definition yeah, of success yeah, that's interesting you know is 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 just what you said is tapping into a very honest place within yourself and gravitating towards people that reflect your interests, that, that you full, fully support, wholeheartedly support because you like what they do because it strikes something in you, you know, and you gravitate towards those people, create with those people or just simply support. Yeah. And it's going to leave you a happier, more whole artist and human being and, I think it will automatically perpetuate, it'll yeah. automatically multiply, yeah. you know, and your network will then become an extension of you. And that's kind of how I yeah. teach freelance mm-hmm. to my year fours at Joffrey Ballet School is just, it is about your network, but about your honest network you know, what you truly gravitate towards are the things that are going to carry you through when you think there's nothing on your calendar. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for making me come up to Harlem. And, yes. Uh, and See, it's jazz. Come on uh,
2: now. It's the right. center of jazz. That's why I'm here.
1: You got to feel it. We, we, we wrapped the theme yes. the whole time. That's it awesome. is jazz. It's all an improvisation. <laughs> well, I'm proud of what you're doing, and I, and I love it, and, and uh, thanks for doing this with me.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it that you even thought of me, that you came all the way to Harlem and that we just get to connect again. Yeah. It's been wonderful.
1: Lauren Cox, folks. How great was that? So much fun exploring these ideas with her. If you want to get a taste of her work, go check out her storytelling piece uh, with the uh, dance at TEDx last year where she tells her, her family story through dance and spoken word. It's on YouTube. You should be able to find it uh, if you uh, type in her name with TEDx. It should be the first thing that pops up there. If you're a dance junkie, you can also follow her adventures in New York and around the world uh, as Human Lauren on Instagram or on her website, laurencox.org. Thanks again to all of you who have contributed this, these past few months. I really appreciate you. Really, uh, remember, it's a very easy thing to, to support. You just go to patreon.com forward slash highway to health. I'd, I'd love to hear from you too. Tell me what you thought of this conversation and topic. Let me know if there's a topic that you'd like me to cover or there's someone that you'd like me to have a conversation with. You can email me anytime at jeremy at highway to health Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends.
0: If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Nurse Wellness Podcast, hosted by Wendy Garvin Mayo, focuses on the power of stress management and how it's foundational to being your best, doing your best, and giving your best. There's a wonderful episode that you should check out called Letting Go, where Wendy Garvin-Mayo shares six strategies to release control and manage stress effectively. Check out Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.